Over 100 years ago, Robert Frost wrote what is arguably the most renowned American poem, The Road Not Taken. You've heard the poem before, but I'm going to read it again. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as far that passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if ever I should come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, there's some debate about what this poem means, what this, the, the appropriate interpretation of this poem is, but one thing's clear. There are two roads presented in Robert Frost's poem. There are two ways put forth. And he knew, and we know, and everyone knows that you can only take one. The same is true in the book of Hosea. Hosea has been presenting to us from chapter 1 all the way to now that there are two roads you can take, and you can only take one. He's given us the rarest of sights, Hosea has. He has led us down the road with the nation of Israel. He has let us walk alongside Israel and invited us to see how they made their choices step by step by step by step to see where they would lead. Their road, we heard, heard over and over from Hosea, led to disaster, destruction, and devastation. And he's calling to us from ages gone by saying, go the other way. Go the other way. He's saying that to you, and he's saying that to me. He's saying that to us today. How do I know? Look at the very last verse of Hosea chapter 14. It's an epilogue. He says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. In other words, pick the right road. There are two roads laid out in the book of Hosea. One is the road of folly that leads to destruction. The other is the road of wisdom that leads to life. Our call throughout this book is and reiterated today, is to stay on the road of wisdom. Israel did not stay on the road of wisdom. They traveled the road of folly and are no more. They did not listen to the Lord their God. 
They were wise in their own eyes. They used God to try to get what they wanted, and they constructed false gods that they could control, walking all along the road of folly, ending up in destruction. We, Center Church, we as, as a church and as individuals, must stay, keep to the road of wisdom. And that's what we see in Hosea chapter 12 through 14. In this section, Hosea summarizes summarizes much of what he's been saying through the whole book. And we're going to ask ourselves three questions. But first, I'm going to read beginning in Hosea chapter 11, verse 12. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll read chunks of it. And I'm going to read down to verse 8 in chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, look at the last, cha- last verse in verse 11. God's word says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, aha, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot to cover this morning. And I ask for your help. Even more, I ask for power from your spirit. I pray for us not just to learn, but to encounter you. Please bless us and keep us. Help us each to stay on the road of wisdom, knowing that it's so easy to be drawn away from your love and kindness and care and mercy. Help us to stay on this road together. Jesus, is in your name we pray. Amen. Our call this morning is to stay on the road of wisdom. So we're going to ask three questions from each of the chapters we're looking at this morning to analyze which road we're on. This is a question, which road are you on, is one that you are able to answer best because you know what's going on inside your heart. Our text gives us three questions. First, will you submit to God? Will you submit to God? And that's essentially the question in chapter 12. Israel did not. Israel did not. The Lord charges the nation of Israel with one of her forebear, the sins of her forebears, Jacob. Now, if you know the story of Jacob, I mean, if you know the Bible, you know the story of Jacob. If you don't, you can read about Jacob beginning in Genesis 25. But I'll summarize. Jacob was a manipulative thief. He was a user. He was always conniving ways to get what he wanted. You know the kind of people that always want something and never give. They're always, they're always 
asking for something and they're never giving anything. That's Jacob. He had a deceptive nature which was encapsulated in the meaning of his name, which means heel grasper. In other words, he thought he was always snapping at people's heels to get something from them. He tricked his brother's brother out of his birthright. He conned his father into blessing him instead of his brother. He ran off and amassed great wealth. And when it was time to come home, he was so scared that his brother killed him that he tried to bribe Esau with money and property and wealth and animals and all that he could. And on the night that he was to meet his brother, when he thought would be his last day, we see this interesting passage in Genesis 32. He wrestled, Hosea tells us in chapter 12, with an angel. It's a very strange passage. Jacob wrestled with this angel all night and wouldn't give up and continually fought and fought and fought and fought. And this angel touched his hip and put it out of socket. And from that day forward, he would walk with a limp. But before this wrestling opponent departed with the sunrise, Jacob grasped him and refused to let him go. And he cried out, bless me. And the man changed Jacob's name, which means heel grasper, to the name Israel, which means striving with God. Jacob finally realized that he could not create his own blessing by using God and going his own way. He realized that he needed blessing from God to be able to follow this God. Jacob calling out for blessing was his way of submitting to God. He couldn't manufacture his own blessings. He needed God to bless him, and he submitted. That was the forebearer, Jacob, of Israel. And Hosea tells Israel that they're more like Jacob than they are Israel, which is ironic. Look at verse 8. Instead of saying, bless me, God, they say in verse 8, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. With all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. In other words, I don't need you, God. I have all I need. Ephraim, Israel says, I have found wealth for myself. I don't need God. I've got what I want. Yes, the nation prayed the right prayers. They observed the appropriate feast. They performed the right sacrifices. They were religious. They even believed the right things about God. But, They did these things to be served by God instead of to serve God. And Israel was a deceiver right until the very end. They chose the road of folly leading to destruction because they refused to submit to the Lord. They refused to surrender to the Lord. And so God responded in verse 14, chapter 12. Ephraim, or Israel, has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him, and he will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. See, the provocation that the the kingdom gave was that they lived as if they didn't need God. They refused to submit to this God. They thought they could get what they needed if God would just leave them alone and let them go their own way. They were able to amass wealth. They were able to amass influence. And they were wise in their own eyes. They didn't need God. They used God. They thought God should be a part of their lives, but yet not direct their entire lives. 
But this God will not be used. He must be surrendered to. He must be submitted to. Not just in a few areas, but in every area. And Israel refused to do that. Israel refused to bow the knee. That's where we must ask ourselves, which road are we on? Are we on the road of folly leading to destruction? Does our lives look like disciples, the followers of Jesus? Do we obey? A life typified by obedience, it's never perfect, but genuine, shows that you're on the road of wisdom. Are you obedient in general toward the Lord with your life? Now, it's easy to think something like, you know, I wouldn't be authentic if I, didn't, if I obeyed right now because I don't feel like obeying. I don't want to be legalistic. That's nonsense, and that's a lie. If we wait till we feel like obeying, we will never obey. In fact, we must obey before we feel like obeying. And that's a sign you're on the road of wisdom. The road of wisdom leads to life. The road of folly leads to death and destruction. Submission is one way to determine which road you are on. Have you submitted in every area to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or, or have you set some things aside that he can't touch? If you set things aside, you might be on the road of folly. The second question is this. Will God be your Savior? And we see this in Hosea 13. He wasn't for Israel. And let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, meaning he was powerful. But he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver. All of them, all of them the work of craftsmen. craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed and became full and were filled, and their hearts were lifted up, therefore they forgot me. So, so I am to them a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. You see who God was to them? God would be their Savior, but because they walked the road of folly, because they refused to submit, we see God says, no longer will I be your Savior, I will be a predator to you. I will be like a lion who devours his prey. I will be like an angry mother bear separated from her cubs. I will be like a leopard who lurks alongside you in the underbrush waiting for a time to pounce and destroy. The nation that God had rescued from Egypt, God would now hunt down like a predator. God would have been their savior but instead, they became his prey. 
Why? Why? Because they fashioned their own gods. And we read that they kissed calves, metal calves made of silver. They sacrificed their children to these false gods. They gave lip service to God, their Savior, but their lives showed that they loved and served other things. So God would no longer be their Savior, but would be their predator. Now, if there's one thing you don't want, it's to make God your predator. And this is what happened to Israel. The prophets called and they cajoled the nation, but the nation had no use for the word of God. And so the Lord promised that he would hunt them down and kill them and empty the land. This once mighty nation that engendered trembling throughout the land would now become empty, utterly destroyed. They would be like what? Look at verse 3, chapter 13. They'd be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes away early. They fashion and fancy themselves as strong as marble, but they're as passing as mist. See, anyone, anyone who fashions false gods and serves these false gods will be wiped away like mist or dew. What happens in the desert with dew? We all know the dew is on the ground, maybe six seconds while the sun is up, and then it's gone. Not only is it gone, in the middle of the heat of the day, it's totally forgotten. So it's not lasting, and it's not remembered. That's the picture. This nation, who thinks they're strong, is not really lasting and will not be remembered. That's the idea. Idolatry always turns God from Savior to predator. Whenever anyone goes down the road of folly, idolatry is always involved. And none of us want God as our predator. I want God as Savior. I want God as protector. I want God as my refuge. I do not want God as a lurking leopard ready to pounce. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-competent. He can do anything, and he's everywhere. I do not stand a chance with him on the other side of me. Now, if you're not following Jesus, you must understand something. You're following something or someone. God is, if you're not following Jesus, God is right now against you. You have made God your opponent. It might not feel that way, but it's true. Every person on the planet, every person alive today, and every person who's ever been alive was designed to worship, designed to worship something. Deep within our souls, we were designed to worship something greater than ourselves. We, it's impossible for us to worship nothing. We're all worshiping something. Now, if you're not following Jesus, you're still worshiping and following something. And you might think, well, what is it that I'm worshiping? What is it that I'm following? Here's how you tell. You ask yourself, what, what is it that I can't live without? And that is your idol. Your idol is not going to be a calf. It's not going to be a statue of silver or gold. But it could be recognition or reputation or not being misunderstood or money or ease or a guy or a girl or a man or a woman or a happy family 
a good job, your looks, maybe your car, or your health, or your sports. We humans will worship something, and we humans can make an idol out of anything. What is it that you can't live without? What is it that if it's taken away, you don't know who you are? That's an idol. If you're not following Jesus, I would encourage you to follow him. If you are, we must be ruthless with those idols that we have. Killing them, throwing them away, smashing them. Lest God be our enemy. Lest God say this of us. Look at verse 9, chapter 13. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. How are you against God? If you fashion idols and say, you are the one I serve. You are the one who is most important. That's the road of folly leading to destruction. <coughs> Israel walked down the road of folly leading to destruction because they refused to submit. They refused to surrender and they refused to worship God alone and serve God alone. So they walked down the road of folly leading to destruction. What road are you on? Are you on the road of wisdom leading to life? And the last question is this. Do you understand? Do you understand? Now this has nothing to do with Israel and everything to do with you and me today. Today and now. Remember, we saw in the beginning in verse 9, whoever is wise is going to understand these things, and these are the things we must understand. To walk on the road of folly leads to destruction. To walk on the road of wisdom leads to life. To erect idols and serve those idols leads to destruction. To refuse to submit to God is a road of folly leading to destruction. And here's the call to Israel that they did not respond to. Verse 1, Return, O Israel, chapter 14, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls and the vows of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say our God, we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Do you see that? What he's saying to Israel is, turn back. How do you turn back? You go to the Lord with words and confess those things that you've done. See what he says? Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and say no more to idols, you are our God, or we will serve you. And in this way, those who are fatherless will find the love of a father. So what does this mean for us? This is how we stay on the road of life, on the road of wisdom. We take words, words describing our personal failure and ask for forgiveness. Words describing our iniquity and ask of the Lord pardon. Words describing how we failed and where we need help. Israel went to the Lord. We didn't go to the Lord with words. They went with ceremony, religiosity, self-importance. And we must go with specific words asking for forgiveness. We must not think that if we do good things and outweigh the bad, we'll be okay. We must not think that if we read the Bible enough, we'll be okay. We must not think if I pray enough, I'll be okay. If we must not think I'm, I'm an, I need to do something nice for someone, so I'll be okay. We must not think if I go out and share the gospel enough, I'll be okay. Or we must not think if we sing loud enough, I'll be okay. No, we must go with 
words, specific words to Jesus Christ and say, here's where I've failed, here's where I've fallen, help me, forgive me, pardon me, go with those kinds of words. That's how we must respond. The life of a Christian is going with words on a continual basis to this Jesus. Because we are not perfect, because we do fall, because we do still fight with sin, we must take that realization and go with those words and say, forgive me of my bitterness. Forgive me of my anger. Forgive me for my wayward heart. Forgive me for all the things that I think I can't live without that aren't you. Forgive me for my tongue. Forgive me for my judgmental attitude. Forgive me for the ways that I'm unkind and complain. Forgive me for the bitterness that I have inside. Forgive me for the unforgiveness. Dear God, forgive me. I need help. We go with words like that. And what will the Lord do? Verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow and they shall flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have, you, what have I have to do with the idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. And they didn't listen, and they didn't return, and they didn't come back. Verse 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Sinner church, will we be wise or will we be foolish? Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the, way of the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. You go to the Lord with words, and he will heal your apostasy. Do you know what apostasy is? It's when a person who seems to be following Jesus walks away from Jesus after seeming to serve the Lord for a long time. Now listen, when we refuse to confess and repent, we take one step toward apostasy. It's not going to feel dramatic, but it's true. When we continually put aside obedience, when we refuse to confess and repent of sin or judgmentalness or, or hard, hardness of heart in our lives, when we refuse to take specific things to the Lord, we're on the, fall, the road of folly leading toward apostasy and destruction. It's not enough for us just to say, Lord, you know I'm a sinner. It's not enough to, to, to confess in general. It's not enough to confess the sins of other people. In fact, don't do that. Instead, what we have is the call to take specific words that we've seen in our lives. When we've seen ourselves fall short, when we, when we sin, we, take, we, we don't pretend like we didn't, we don't excuse it, we don't act like, well, that's just who I am. What we do is we take those things and say, Lord, I have failed, forgive me. And what will he do? He will heal your apostasy. Every time we refuse to repent, to confess and repent, what we're doing is taking one step down the road of folly. What we're doing is we're getting one step closer to apostasy. When you find refuge in other things aside from Jesus and refuse to take words to the Lord, you're on the road of folly going toward apostasy and destruction. Which road are you on? 
All of us, if we're honest, we're going to feel temptation. We're going to say, I want to be on the road of wisdom, but I can feel the temptation to be on the road of folly. I can feel the draw. I can feel that call from the other side. Nate, make no mistake, this is a stern warning to professing Christians. When I first started, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years and preaching regularly for almost 19. And I used to be really, really, when I first started, I used to be really uncomfortable preaching warning passages like this because I would say to myself, everybody at church is a Christian. They sing, they pray, they come on Sunday and listen, so they're fine. Why do they need a warning? Why do they need to hear, stay on the right path? They're good. And then my hair turned gray. And I gained, it, gained a bit of experience. I've seen things in 19 years I never thought I would see. Not only did I find that otherwise good people, Christian people, can at times be mean and nasty, more mean and nasty than I thought, I also found that many people who I would have bet the house on followed Jesus didn't. And how did I know? Not because they said, I hate Jesus. Not because they said, I don't believe the Bible. Not because they said, I hate God. But because they refused to repent. And they refused to walk away from their sin. See, I have in my mind's eye, even standing up here now, Names and faces of people who sat in the seats you're sitting in. Who sang like you sang this morning. Who served our church like you serve our church. Who blessed our church like you bless our church. Who loved many like you love many in our church. I have thoughts of leaders, former leaders in our church. People who gave generously to our church. People who sung passionately in our church. People who took notes during sermons. People who cried when faced with their sin at our church and yet who walked away. And they walked away for different reasons. Some because of bone-crushing disappointments. Some walked away because they were shocked by the hardship of life. Some were, were thrown off by, by disillusionment. Others were infected by rancid bitterness. Some by festering unforgiveness. Some just said it's not who I am anymore. And I'll tell you what, pastors, don't, don't think pastors are immune. I'm not talking to anybody else. First, I'm talking to myself up here. Pastors, in many ways, are more susceptible. I know one who taught me years ago good theology who is now on the road of folly leading to destruction. Why? Because he would not take specific words about his failure to the Lord. And he walked away. Now, he doesn't think he walked away, but he walked away. He's on the road of folly. Now, I'm not talking about going to a different church or anything like that. What I'm talking about is people who walk away from Jesus Christ, people who think who I would bet money on were at one time walking the road of wisdom, but have now begun to walk the road of folly. In fact, I remember one powerful moment. 
I don't know, maybe a decade ago, maybe, I don't know, time flies. I, it, all, it all mixes up together in my mind. But I remember one time we had to practice church discipline on a woman who left her husband for another woman. After, the, after that event, we had, someone came up to me, sobered and emotional, and she said, I see that I have to be so careful. I see that like this individual, I could wander away too. And it was powerful. And it was sobering. But that person, that person let rancid bitterness take hold. And that person, I don't know the state of their soul, but they walked away. Those who trust themselves will fall the hardest. And I don't want that to be us. I don't want us to rock, walk the road of folly that leads to destruction. I don't want us just to be people who appear to submit to God, but really submit to God. I don't want us just to be people who talk about God as Savior, but really has, have God as Savior. I don't want us to be on the wrong road. Do you understand these things? Not, are you able to explain these things? But do you understand them such that this is how you live? This is a question only you can answer. You may be doing all the right things, not because you serve God, but because you want God to serve you. You may sing on Sundays, but worship idol, your idols Monday through Saturday. You might tell everyone that Jesus is worth it, but you know inside he's not to you. But those who are wise unto salvation understand these things. Hosea calls out today to us from ages gone by. He says, choose the road of wisdom. Stay on that road. That road leads to life. The road of folly leads to death and destruction. And if he were with us today, he might give us these final words. Be wise. Stick to Jesus. Be wise. Stick close to Jesus. Now, this road of wisdom is a road we do not walk alone. We are, there are great and mighty promises for those of us who follow God to stay close to Jesus. We are not alone on this road of wisdom. But we can be alone if we're arrogant and proud and stiff-necked. You know what it's like to be stiff-necked? Israel was stiff-necked. They refused to bow their head. They, they put their neck up and, was, and were defiant. And they wouldn't submit and just bow their head and say, whatever you want, Lord, God opposes the proud, the stiff-necked, but gives grace to the humble. If you're proud and refuse to walk, to walk the road of wisdom, God is your opponent. I don't want God to be that to anyone in this room. We must stick close to Jesus. And he promises that he will heal us of our apostasy. We all have apostasy to be healed from. The seeds of every sin and the seeds of all the apostasy in the world are resident in all of our hearts. We need Jesus to touch us and heal us. We need Jesus to take away the desire to walk the road of folly going to destruction. We need Jesus to be the one that reminds us it is not worth it to walk the road of folly even though it might seem easier. We need to remember that Jesus Christ always walked, walked the road of wisdom. He walked the road of wisdom all the way. He was perfect, 
and yet he was destroyed so that we might be able to walk the road of wisdom, not perfectly, just authentically with the help of Jesus Christ. Perfection is not our standard. Christian, humility is. And if you want help from God, be humble. Take words to him. Jesus delights in forgiving and restoring those who know they need help. Those who think they're okay, he lets them pretend like they are and they go on their own way. Guess what? That is the road of folly leading to destruction. We must be those people who ask for help. We must be those people who confess our sins. We must be those people who smash our idols. We must be those people who submit to his will. It was up to us. We could not walk this road of wisdom alone. We need others, but we also need to recognize we have the Spirit within us. The same Spirit that raised the dead body of Christ from the grave indwells us. And that same Spirit will quicken or help or encourage or strengthen our mortal bodies and empower us to continue walking the road of wisdom. It's not going to be easy, but he is with us. He's not just with us, he's in us. He's not just in us, he's empowering us. We're not going to feel like obeying, but he's with us. He's not just with us, he's in us. He's empowering us. We're going to have trouble killing idols, but he is with us. He's not just with us, he's in us. He's empowering us. We will chafe at confession and want to do anything else but say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, but he is with us. He's not just in us, he's empowering us. Or he's not just with us, he's in us. He's empowering us. We must stay close to Jesus. So which road are you on? The road of folly leading to destruction? Or the road of wisdom leading to life. With apologies to Robert Frost, we might paraphrase the end of his poem by saying, two roads diverged in a wood, and we, Center Church, us here, we took the one called wisdom, and that has made all the difference. May we stay on that road, together, united, until the end. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for expressing your peculiar love to us by giving us warnings and reminding us that we are not enough in and of ourselves, that we cannot obey our way into the kingdom, we cannot pretend our way into the kingdom. We cannot, we can't act like we've got everything together. We can't, we, Lord, what we need is we need you to heal us from our apostasy. We need you to heal us from our sin. We need you to take away the desires of sin because those desires lead to death, Lord. And so I pray that if there is anyone in this room or watching now who is on the road of folly leading to destruction, Lord, I pray that you would grab them and I pray that they would humble themselves, take words to you and say, please forgive me, I've sinned here and here and here and here. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to feel your forgiveness and know, Lord, that it's worth it to keep walking the road of wisdom, which leads to life. 
Lord, may we make it, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be circumspect and recognize, Lord, that we need your help just to make it. We can't do it. Lord, so may we walk that road of wisdom, whatever comes, knowing that you are with us. Help us. In your name, Jesus, for your glory and for your purposes, we pray. Amen.